Hello, everybody. What's uh, what's doing, and what's happening? Welcome to episode four of the True Crime Banter Podcast, the podcast aimed to bring in you your dose of murder relaxation. I'd like to start this episode off with a big thank you, thank you to all of you who've listened to the first three episodes. Thank you to all of you who took the time out of your day to follow us on the Instagrams. And thank you to everyone who's decided to like and share each and every episode so far. Just real quick, I'd like to give a shout out to Kaylin L. out of Southern California for your case suggestions for some upcoming episodes. And uh, another shout out to Bug out of, well, nearby Tacoma, Washington for the follow on Instagram. And the biggest shout out of all goes to Lady Christian out of right here where I live for the constant support and motivation, you know, that's a word, the constant support and motivation for recording each and every one of these episodes. If you guys haven't caught on, Lady Christian is my fiance and fun little fact, she's actually a, a, a much bigger true crime fan than myself. She could legit talk for hours about oh so many cases her personal favorite being Israel Keys but you know today's not the day for that one maybe maybe sometime in the future she and I could co-host for a little mini series who knows but with those shout outs out of the way let's get into today's bit of banter Scary movies. Scary movies, much like video games and TV shows, they were once considered a bad influence on children. You might say, Riley, all of those things, they're, they're still bad influences on kids. And, uh, you know, they stunt their ability to positively learn and process life as they grow up. But I disagree. I think poor communication is what really is the issue. It's the lazy, subpar parents who let their kids sit in front of a screen for hours on end without taking, you know, just a few minutes out of the day to to ask their kid, hey, so what you think about that? Or maybe, what do you like about that game so much? You see, some people might view scary movies or modern entertainment in general as some sort of distraction from quote-unquote real learning. But the thing is, like everything, in moderation, modern entertainment can actually be a tool for growing brains to learn and process things quicker than, than maybe someone who's forced to sit and read a book every single night. Obviously, this is something that differs from person to person. But if you look at the likes of esports or or Twitch streams, YouTube, or even, you know, podcasting itself, there's a number of people that are now making a career out of once was considered silly, time-wasting activities. 
I mean, take me for example. Let, let, let's go back to the late 1900s, aka <laughs> the mid 90s. 1996 to be exact. The movie Scream had just released that December. In fact, it'll be 25 years to the day next week. Crazy. I was but a wee young lad, not even 10 years old, and I still remember the fright I felt as the iconic ghost face terrorized the town of Woodsboro. Now, should my dad have, you know, let me watch what turned out to be my favorite scary movie at such a young age? Well, probably not. But did watching those movies, did that that cause me to be some sort of, you know, horror-obsessed adult whose favorite TV show is Dexter and whose favorite podcast genre is true crime? Okay, maybe I'm a bad example, but I'll be honest, this this entire bit of banter was just an excuse for me to, you know, tell you a teeny tiny bit about my upbringing, and it's also the perfect segue into today's case, commonly referred to as the Scream-inspired murder. The story takes place on September 22nd, 2006 in Pocatello, Idaho. 16-year-old Cassie Jo Stoddart was tasked with the job of house-sitting for her aunt and uncle. A beautiful house off Whispering Cliffs Drive, fitted with an upstairs balcony and a a lower basement area perfect for for welcoming any long-staying guests. Now, for many high schoolers, this might be considered a dream come true. A house partier's sanctuary. You know, no adults, no rules. But for Cassie Jo Stoddart, she wasn't one of those rule breakers. She was your prototypical perfect daughter. The straight-A student in the popular crowd. The sweet yet funny girl you couldn't help but enjoy just being around. The type of teenager that you could actually entrust with watching over a house and taking care of the pets. Knowing that nothing bad would happen. Cassie being the responsible adult that she was, didn't throw some big bash while the adults were away. No. Instead, she did what any 30-year-old person would do. And I can say that because I'm 30 and, well, this is what I do. She spent the 22nd night of September chilling. She invited her boyfriend, Matt Beckham, over to watch a movie, who then invited a couple of his friends over as well, Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick. Brian and Tori were the best of friends. They'd met just a few years prior to this when Brian's family had moved up from Utah. Bonding over their love for movies and film, they were even working on writing their own movie that they'd hoped would someday don the big screen in movie theaters all over. Some would say they were inseparable. So here were four seemingly responsible teenagers ready to enjoy a chill night in an adultless house, cuddled up watching a movie. Well... I'm assuming Cassie and Matt were cuddled up, but with how close Brian and Tori were, you know, reported to be, I'm, I'm choosing to visualize the two of them cuddled up as well. But I'm kind of jumping ahead a bit here. Tori and Brian, they showed up a couple hours after Matt did, and uh, there's conflicting stories as to whether Matt told them it was going to be a party, or if Matt just told them, hey, swing on through and, and can't come, just come hang out, you know? But when the two arrived, Cassie and Matt... They gave them a quick tour of the entire house, and and being the movie buffs that they are, Brian and Tori, they were 
blown away by this movie collection that Cassie's aunt and uncle had built up over the years. Now, this is something I can actually like relate to because as <laughs> growing up, my dad used to have this massive collection of like DVDs, and and I remember we had these these boat shaped shelves in the living room, and they were just filled edge to edge with movies. And I I remember like a oh man, what was it? It was a Michael Jackson like greatest hits and there was like his best music videos from thriller to remember the time to um you knock me off my feet uh okay i i digress so after lusting over this movie collection at hand the 14s returned to the main level of the house and they kind of settled in to watch kill bill volume two a movie my dad owned, but I've actually never seen. And not not too long into the movie, though, did the the two movie buffs they they decided that you know what? Sorry, y'all, this this movie just ain't it. You know, instead of sticking through a movie that they thought was a waste of their time, uh, Brian and Tori they decided to snag some movie tickets to the <laughs> the Kristen Bell classic Pulse. So I actually I I went back on YouTube and I watched the trailer for for this movie Pulse. And oh my god. Now, Wes Craven, so this is a Wes Craven movie, Pulses. And he's a horror movie legend, as many people might know. But uh, from the trailer alone, I can, I can tell you Pulse, uh, Pulse ain't one of his best. And the 11% on Rotten Tomatoes might suggest the same. Anyway, back to the story. So Brian and Tori, they, they take off and they... You know, they go on the riveting cinematic journey that I'm sure Pulse is. And Matt and Cassie, they're they're left alone in this big, empty house. Just the two of them. You and I. As Matt had actually described to police sometime after his buddies had taken off, the, the power in the house had actually gone out. And so, to give you guys a little bit of insight into what this would be like, this neighborhood that the house, you know, Cassie is watching over, it, it's not one of the neighborhoods where, like, you know, your neighbors are within high-fiving distance from window to window. No, there, there's actually the land between the houses, yards. Um, so, so, you know, when the, the power goes out, it's not just like, oh, man, you know, I've got someone over there. I can see they still got the power on or let me just walk over and make sure everything's okay over there. No, you're, it's, it's, it's dark and not, not just dark. It is dark, dark. So I could just imagine, think about it, 16 years old. Alone in this house, you don't know, you know, and the power goes out, and, and thank God Cassie and Matt had each other to at least feel somewhat safe together. And looking at it right now, uh, my first thought is, okay, you know, check the breaker, make sure nothing's tripped, and if something's tripped, just fix it. Uh, but putting myself back into you know, 16-year-old Riley's mind, I'm not sure I know what to do in a situation like that. So so Matt and Cassie, they decide, just let's just stay together in the main living room, you know, wait things out, see if it was an actual power outage or just some short flicker and, or something going on, you know. So luckily for them, the outage was temporary and the lights did come back on, at least half of them, as Matt has described. Being the good boyfriend that he is, uh, Matt called his mom and told her what was going on. How, you know, Cassie was freaked out by the whole thing. And, and he actually asked if it was alright if he could spend the night there. You know, to help her, I don't know, keep her safe and, and comfort her. And I think as most parents probably would do, uh, Matt's mom said no. You know, you're not going to stay at this 
adultless house with your uh, girlfriend. Not gonna happen. Which, I again, I don't blame her. But what she did do, which I think is pretty cool, is she said, hey, you know, Cassie can come stay at our place where we're home so we can make sure no funny business goes on. But Cassie, knowing there were both cats and a dog at her aunt's house to be taken care of, she actually declined the offer, which was a decision that proved to be costly. It was around 10.30 p.m. that Matt's mom had arrived to pick him up, and again, she offered Cassie the option to stay over, but by then the power had been back on for a little while, and Cassie was really just planning to go to bed soon anyway. So Matt, not ready for the night to be over, he called up Tori and said, Hey, you know, what are you guys up to? What are you and Brian doing? And and he basically wanted to see if they wanted to meet up later after he got home. Tori did answer Matt's call with a whisper basically hoping not to disturb any of the other patrons in the movie theater that he and Brian were in with this incredible Pulse movie going on. Um, And basically just told Matt, hey, you know, we'll get a hold of you after the movie's over. So back at the empty house, Cassie had just finished saying bye to Matt. I'm sure she was getting things wound down for the night, making sure the dog had been fed and the cats were all inside when the lights went out again. Cassie, she laid down on the couch, hoping that she'd either fall asleep in the darkness, or, you know, maybe the lights will come back on again, the same way they had before. But that's when she heard a door slam near the stairwell. Somebody was in the house with her, and that person knew she was finally alone, with no one there to protect her. And protect her from what, you might ask? Well, a hunting knife. Two days later, Sunday, September 24th, Cassie's aunt, her uncle, and her 13-year-old cousin arrived back home from vacation. Her 13-year-old cousin walking into the door first to be the one who discovers Cassie lying dead, stabbed nearly 30 times, 12 of which were potentially fatal. So what happened? Who did this and why would they do it to such a sweet and innocent person like Cassie Stoddart was? Well, there were three other people with Cassie that night. One of them being her caring boyfriend Matt. And the other two being horror-obsessed movie junkies, Brian and Tori. The interrogations of both Brian and Tori can be found on YouTube fairly easily, and it didn't take long for Pocatello investigators to find out that Brian and Tori were not where they said they were the night of Cassie's murder. You see, I told you earlier that Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick were working on writing their own movie. What I didn't tell you is that they were also filming and starring in it as well. A movie that closely mimicked one of Tori's favorite movies, Scream. This is a clip from the night before of Brian and Tori's own sick little movie that they were working on. There should be no odds against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but you hell, hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're gonna want it more. We found our victim and sad maybe. She's our friend, but you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. 
Our first victim is going to be Cassie Stoddard. She's going to be alone in a big, dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I, I mean, like, holy shit, dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. Hell yeah. If that's not disturbing enough, here's audio from the video that Brian had taken of Cassie the morning of the murder while she was digging through her locker at school. And then here's the two of them that same day discussing what they were going to do while pretending to be working on some schoolwork in class. September 22nd to 26th, we're skipping our fourth hour. We're not even applying right now. I'm telling Cassie's family, but she had to number one. We have to take a plan. And she's perfect, so. <laughs> that last clip is a little hard to make out as they were obviously trying to stay quiet about their plans. But at one point, you can hear Tori say, I'm writing our death list now. While Brian is describing Cassie as perfect while telling her family sorry for her having to be the one. So what did Tori and Brian do? Well, when they first got to the house... And Matt and Cassie graciously gave them a tour of both the upstairs and the downstairs. Tori had secretly unlocked one of the basement doors, knowing that it would be an easy entrance into the house without Cassie hearing them. With the entrance taken care of, all they had to do was come up with a reason and an alibi for leaving the house. That's where the whole, let's go to the movies instead and watch Pulse comes in. In fact, during the investigation, as... Brian is explaining to detectives that he and Tori went to the movies. The investigators ask, what was the movie about? Brian, knowing that they didn't actually go see the movie, came up with some stupid excuse about how these two other high school girls sat near them. So he was caught up flirting with them and basically was flirting with them the entire time instead of really watching the movie. And I gotta tell you guys right now, if you're planning on doing something stupid... Anything. It doesn't have to be murdering a classmate. If you're planning on skipping out on uh, ballet practice and, you, and your excuse for that is that you went to see a movie when you actually didn't, please make sure you, you, you make up a movie that you've actually seen. You're going to look real dumb when your ballet teacher says, you know, hey, what was, uh, what was the movie about? And you can't describe who the main character is, what the plot of the movie is, or even how many people were in the movie theater when you went to watch it. That's when investigators asked Brian Draper, and he had no idea if the movie theater was half full, a quarter full, or packed to the brim. Not a good look. So clearly, Brian and Tori did not go to the movies to watch Pulse. Instead, they drove a little bit down the road, donned some black clothing and white masks, reminiscent of the uh, Ghostface and the Scream franchise, and they snuck back up to the house, entering through the unlocked basement from prior. Here's them talking about it just before doing so. It was 9.50, September 22nd, 2006. We know there's lots of doors. There, there's lots of places to hide. I locked the back doors. That's all I locked. Now we just gotta wait. 
So wait, they did. That is, until the two of them got bored and decided to have some fun. Tori thought, let's give them a little scare before we take their life away. That's, that's when they found the breaker panel downstairs and shut off all the power to the entire house, deciding, you know, to only turn back half of them on. Reports actually say that Tori and Brian were throwing these small little items around at the base of the stairs in the hopes that Cassie would decide to, I guess, inspect what was going on downstairs. But she didn't. Her and Matt, they stayed upstairs until eventually Matt's mom arrived to pick him up. That's when Matt called the two of them and Tori whispering. Matt, under the um, assumption that, you know, they were in the movie theater. While this entire time, the two boys were just a floor below them ready and waiting waiting for Cassie to be alone which she now was and that's when they struck Tori slammed a closet door as they made their way upstairs one last ditch effort to terrify Cassie just before taking her life originally Brian claimed that this entire thing was supposed to be a prank you know the power outage the white masks even the knives are just supposed to be there to scare Cassie that is until Tori stabbed her over and over telling Brian that you better join, otherwise I'll kill you too. But the following clip will clearly show that Brian was a very willing participant in this sick documentary the two of them were creating. The main voice you're going to hear is Brian. I just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body just... I disappeared. Dude, I oh just killed God. Cassie. Oh, oh, fuck. That felt like it wasn't even real. Uh, I mean, it went by so fast. Shut the fuck up. We gotta get our act straight. Okay. As it's clear to see and hear, this was no prank. Tori Adamchick and Brian Draper had plans on murdering not only Cassie Jo Stoddart, but a whole lot more. Though not all the tapes of Brian and Tori have been released to the public transcripts of those tapes were, and the following is just a few excerpts from those transcripts. This is Brian saying, We are sick psychopaths who get their pleasure off killing other people. We're going to be just like Scream, except real life terms. We're going to be murderers, like Ted Bundy, like the Hillside Strangler, the Zodiac Killer. Tori. Those people were more amateurs compared to what we are going to be. We're going to be more of higher sources, of Ed Gein. Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick were both charged and convicted of murder in the first degree and conspiracy to commit murder in the first degree. Brian's charge for conspiracy was later dropped due to errors in jury instructions, but both of the boys were tried and convicted as adults, both sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Well, there it is. There you have it. And the first time I heard about this case, it was about like, I don't know, five or six years ago, and I'll never forget those bone-chilling goosebumps I got when I was watching those tapes for the first time. There's something about that excitement, that ridiculous giddiness in both of their voices after committing a murder that... I don't know, there's something about it that will will stick with me for a long time. But, I really hope that uh, you all enjoyed this episode. 
I know that as I was writing up my notes for this one that each time I listened back, those clips, they just got creepier and creepier. And the one thing that kept popping into my head is that this easily could have been me or one of my friends. You know, Cassie, she's just a year older than me. And, and something about putting myself back into the mindset of a 16-year-old high schooler. I don't know, you just, you don't think something like that is possible at such a young age. Anyways, as I said, I, I really hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Uh, if you did, be sure to share it with a friend. And, and if you're really feeling feeling spicy, go ahead and, and give us a follow on the Instagrams at, at True Crime Banter. If you're listening to this via the YouTubes, uh, be sure if you liked it, hit the like button. If you loved it, hit the subscribe button. My name is Riley, and this has been the True Crime Banter Podcast. And you'll be hearing from us next time. Take care.